doing Kinhin, um, I happened, when we were passing our cushions, I, uh, I actually looked at my cushion. Um, and um, it's pretty worn. Um, and I remembered when I bought this cushion, it was in Santa Cruz, California, uh, with my daughter. And um, this cushion is 30 years old. <laughs> and um, it, it will probably outlive me. Uh, and I was kind of marveling at how it's held up, even though it, it's pretty worn. And it's, it's a really important uh, part of my life. Uh, and it, it just bring. I mean, I've carried it with me to so many places. And um, I, uh, there's a wonderful film on um, why did Bodhidharma travel to the the East, and um, the uh, <clears throat> the monk who they follow in this film uh, dies, um, and the only things that he has left are his robes and his begging bowls and his slippers. And I was thinking, um, my robes you know, don't actually, I mean, they're very important, but somehow this cushion uh, is... Um, it's actually part of me. So gazing at it here sort of as an independent entity was um, just a wonderful moment. <laughs> um, I wanted to say another, before I get into the precept that we're focusing on today, um, my daughter uh, bought me a, a first-class ticket on to California this winter, where I'll be practicing and giving some talks. And um, she was very excited about, Mom, you've got to go first class. Um, it's quite an experience. Um, you know, you get to all kinds of food, snacks, uh, you get to watch personal movies, and you get your own uh, connection to computer and they give you warm towels for your face and you can recline and not worry about it's it's just she says you got to go first class and I'm thinking about how exciting that would be and remembering times that I've been on airplanes and how um my first reaction was, wow, that's pretty wonderful, um, all this stuff that you can do on an airplane. But every, every aspect of that trip will be a distraction from knowing that I'm 3,000 miles in the air <laughs> in an, with people I don't know and who, who being piloted by somebody I have absolutely no control over. Um, that's pretty scary, and we we want we want anything to get us out of the present moment. Um, you know, movies, hot towels, snacks, <laughs> the ability to fall asleep if we want to, anything to to get out of where we really are. 
which is 3,000 miles up in the air with people we don't know, crowded into a suffocating uh, environment, being piloted by people we don't know and have no control over whatsoever. So it occurred to me how far we go not to be where we are. What we're all doing here together is practicing being where we are with no ornamentation, no frills, no distractions, at least not in any obvious way. But of course, when you sit down, you got the movie up here. It's all about you, produced by you, directed by you, starring you, and reviewed by you constantly. So we can't quite escape all of these distractions from the, from the present moment, but at least we are intending to do that. Where we come with the intention to practice that. And we expect that it's not always, probably hardly ever going to be successful. But at some point, we will discover that something has changed about us, or people will notice that something is, something is different. And that will be the result of practice. We, we, we won't see this big billboard announcement. You are now awakened. It's more like, as often said, a mist that soaks into your skin. And eventually you are completely wet. You're wet with enlightenment. <coughs> That's a promise. Uh, it's worked for over 2,500 years and passed on from master to master to mistress to mistress to student to student to disciple. Call it warm hand to warm hand, warm heart to warm heart. So all of that to, uh, here we are, I've, I've compared the Zendo to all kinds of places, but we could be in an airplane together. 3,000 miles up in the air, practicing being there, wherever you are. So thank you for buying the ticket <laughs> and taking your seat, <laughs> taking your seat and holding your seat and traveling together. So we're not finished with the precept on anger. <clears throat> anger is also a tremendous distraction. It will definitely take us out of the present moment and take us into some kind of intense place that could be compared to an intoxicant. And, you know, we have a precept on intoxication. There are many forms of intoxication besides substance, substances. And anger, I think you can all recognize, can be incredibly intoxicating. Not only for you, but for others 
when you begin to share your anger about something, it's almost like someone who takes a, 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 a lighted cigarette butt and throws it into, a, into the forest, <laughs> and suddenly there's a wildfire, there's a conflagration. It doesn't take much to get hooked on anger. And it doesn't take much to inflame it. And especially if you can get somebody else angry the way you are. And you can get them to sympathize with, with your anger and get them riled up. And you can see how that happens in groups. Uh, how that anger can be whipped up. So this precept suggests don't be angry. Well, we know we're going to get angry. So what do we make of that precept? Don't, don't be angry. It's something we practice with. Without the expectation that we're going to be perfect or successful. But in, it invites us to set a high bar for ourselves. The first thing we want to do, just like we want to forget that we are in an airplane or in some kind of painful situation or frightening situation, is to discover the exception. Don't kill, but don't lie, but don't steal, but, 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 yes, but. So don't be angry. Yeah, I, I recognize that anger is a poison and actually one, it's one of the three poisons, we call them kleshas in Buddhist practice, greed, anger, and ignorance. They're, they're expressed in different ways. Attachment, aversion, and ignorance. So anger, aversion, hatred is a poison. It poisons us and it poisons others and makes us suffer. When we carry anger, we're suffering. We're carrying that flame, burning us. It's burning inside. And we can ignite the flame in others and have them suffer, too. But the first thing we want to, because we know we're going to experience anger, we say, yes, no anger, don't be angry, but... There are times when anger is okay. And what do we call that? We call it righteous anger. You've heard that term? We've talked about the Me Too movement. You can certainly find Lit. You can make a long list of things that you can be righteously angry about. 
thinks like sexual abuse, child separation at the border, uh, opioid addiction that's promoted by the pharmaceutical industry, lack of environmental laws that are creating toxin, toxic environment, priests abusing children, um, each one of us probably has our set of causes that we become outraged about, that we, we call that social justice, um, that we are, we feel justified in being angry about those things. That is like, and I'm going to offer this as something for you to consider, not as an absolute truth or any kind of truth, but something to practice with. I remember my daughter sitting on the beach. She has this uh, SAD, uh, Seasonal Affective Disorder. Pennsylvania was definitely not the place for her to be. Um, but she's in California, which that is, is a much nicer environment for people who have uh, trouble with cloudy days. Um, but she would be down in Florida when my mother lived down there, and we'd be sitting on the beach, and it was a beautiful sunny day, and she would see clouds down down the beach front, and she would look at those clouds and she would say oh that's you know I'm there they come <laughs> there they come they're gonna ruin my day and she was actually furious about those clouds that were coming to ruin her day and having righteous anger is like that it's like getting angry with clouds. We think that righteous anger is permissible anger because it's directed toward a good cause. The object of our anger makes the anger justified. But you know, all anger feels like righteous anger. Is there any distinction between righteous anger that has a justified cause and a righteous anger that doesn't have a justified cause? Because we always think we're right. When we get angry with something, it always has an element of righteousness in it, no matter what no matter what we're getting angry with. So how do we reconcile? It's like anger is a poison, but we can, we can cover it with honey or sugar, make it righteous. And then it becomes easy to accept it. 
It's like taking medicine or taking something that is poisonous, but covering it with something that looks sweet. So it becomes tolerable. So I'm inviting you to consider how all anger is righteous and all righteous anger is empty. It's all poisonous. So what, what is the alternative to believing that no matter how anger comes up, we are right, we blame that or that one or that series of circumstances. What's, if we don't have righteousness to cling on to, to make our anger sort of tolerable, what's, what's the alternative? Well, in Buddhist practice, the alternative is to transform the anger. Not to deny it, not to repress it, and also not to express it. But to discover that moment when we get hooked. And of course, there's another precept about no praise, no blame. You can't have anger without blame. Anger is always a duality. And it's usually, I've been, I've been offended, I've been hurt, I've been whatever. And that there, out there, is, is causing that, and I am reacting to it. So the first step is to acknowledge there's anger in me. That emotion comes up. It's, I don't know how it expresses itself in you. Tension. Me, it's red, redness, and I start getting very hot. My face gets hot. Uh, there's maybe a knot in your stomach. Uh, your shoulders go up. You get into defensive mode. It's good to examine how these emotions manifest themselves in, in our bodies, in our minds, the stories we tell. And of course, the first hook, that first hook of that sensation, oh, that's so delicious in a way, to be angry. We just love finding how pe other people are wrong. There's this kind of a delicious deliciousness about it because it feeds the ego. You know, it's, yeah, it's that righteousness, that righteous feeling, which is very delicious. So we notice it. Ah, I can feel that coming up in me. And the suggestion is that we start with small, small upsets. Like um, sitting in traffic. Can you feel that coming up? That hook. Mm -mm. There, there it goes. 
I can feel myself or waiting online or your friend says something that some small thing that you know you could hook onto and then begin building oh she did this also and she did that also and then the story starts you, you know you sort of build all the props <laughs> underneath that first sensation of anger and then you have lots of things to prop it up to justify it remembering all the past hurts all the past offenses and so you can feel that first first impulse of anger notice that and then notice what's underneath the reaction and as i suggested last week there usually usually is something underneath the anger which is pain of some sort and the last thing we want to do is to be with pain we don't want to feel hurt we don't want to feel offended and that's like not being 3000 miles up in the air with the pilot on out of our control we we don't want to feel the pain of being hurt and so we go to anger and so in our practice the way to transform anger is to investigate it to really look deeply into it and to see what's under it anger as i've suggested is a is a painkiller and if we were able to be with the pain for example um if say you're thinking about uh i was watching part of this um documentary on um hazing in fraternities and at penn state there was a death uh in fraternity um uh and they were interviewing the parents of the uh young man who had died piazza i think his last name is um and you would think that these parents would be furious about what the fraternity brothers failed to do um to save their son but there was no anger there the father i remember the father saying when i think about it it's like a knife in my heart when we think about the priests who have um sexually abused children is there anger there or is there pain there are we angry with the priest sometimes i find myself saying to myself when i hear of these atrocities like the war in yemen or syria or the war on our streets in chicago you know it's like it's sadness it's sorrow that people can be this way it's like how can 
How can a human being treat another human being that way? I don't feel anger about that, and I bet you don't either if you really examined it. It's more like shock. It's more like, I can't believe that this, that human beings have this in them to be cruel or to abuse children. And that reflects back on our, our understanding in Buddhist practice that we are fundamentally good. There is nothing to be angry about. There is only something to be compassionate about, to be understanding about. What good does, us, does our anger do if we're angry with the priests? It's like being angry with the clouds. We need to understand, first of all, how our culture, how our society, how our, how our very way of being can contribute to that. And to understand the, what might have caused that to happen so that we can really take effective, skillful action and not just be beating our chests and holding up our peace signs and clobbering each other with our peace signs. As Buddha said, you never, never eliminate hate with hate. You never eliminate injustice with anger. Only with love and compassion. It, it may seem, you know, in our culture, it's like, it's not working. We really got to be strong on this, but this is the teaching. That it definitely does not work to do it the way we tend to think we should do it, by fighting. And last week I talked about all the way, the language that we use in our culture. Fighting this, fighting cancer, fighting the war on drugs. It's, we're, we're at war. And we're at war internally, which gets manifest externally. So we begin by taking care of our own anger, understanding it, finding the moment that we start getting hooked, and then maybe examining the pain that that anger is trying to cover over. So again, don't be angry. Is it precept? Don't, don't be angry. 